Hello everybody, this is Paul Miller, and you're listening to the Tuna Town Talks podcast, located in Venice, Louisiana, the fishing capital of the world. Alrighty guys, I'm here today with uh, Captain Miles Colley. Very nice to see you, Captain Miles. Good to be here. Yeah, cool. Um, so guys, we just poured us up some uh, Yellowfin Vodka. Um, this bottle, the rest of the bottle is yours. You can keep it, take it, drink it, do whatever you want with it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, looking forward to it. Some good stuff, huh? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Well, cool. Pretty good. So guys, I wanted to have Miles on the podcast today. Um for a lot of the reasons, a lot of the captains that I've already done have have recommended you, and uh, I always thought it'd be a good podcast. So I want to get to know more of the big yacht captains, and uh, you're currently captain of the Cheeseburger, correct? Correct. Yep, Cheeseburger. I started with them in July, I guess. Um, fresh on a new gig, huh? <laughs> fresh on a new gig. Yep. Uh, the boat's in the boat yard, getting a big major refit, and um, hopefully when we get out, we'll start doing some traveling. Awesome, man. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, so, not to, uh, I'm sure we'll get, like, more into, like, the future and, like, like the more recent stuff, but kind of take us back, you know, like, how'd you get into this uh, this line of work? Like, what, what fueled your passion for fishing, wherever you want to start, man? Man, just as a kid growing up, my, uh, my dad and uncle and my cousin, we just, we fished anywhere, any place we could, you know, sneaking into golf courses and fishing ponds for bass and getting run off and where was that at in pensacola florida pensacola. yep yep and um you know we started fishing on the pier pensacola beach pier you know we didn't have a boat or anything so we fished out there all summer i mean it was pretty much my dad says it was my daycare when i was a kid he dropped <laughs> me off before work and picked me up after and i mean catching everything from spanish mackerel to cobias tarpon Whatever was and whatever we could catch, you know. All off the docks there. Yeah, all off the pier. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. I started kind of the same way. My mom used to drop me off down at a place called Point Clear in Gautier, Mississippi, and it was the same. We didn't catch no tarpons or anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, we didn't catch many tarpon. We hooked quite a few, but for whatever reason, they just jump off a lot they, on the pier. They catch some pretty cool stuff over there on that pier. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. A lot of king mackerel and bonita, you know, those type things. So yeah, and so uh, like moving on, like from there. So, yeah, you know, getting into high school, I uh, worked at a local tackle store over there and would freelance charter fish a little bit. And once I got out of school, I started charter fishing some, you know, on some of the, you know, boats here in Orange Beach. And uh, real quick, figured out I wanted to to go offshore more for the Blue Marlin and the Tunas and whatnot and um, got into the private boats and started mating on some private boats and just kind of worked my way up from there. Um, yeah. And so you never did the whole college thing, huh? No, like no, I didn't. <laughs> I uh, I think I might have went to college, like a junior college for like well, a semester, I think it was. And, I, you know, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And yeah. told my dad, came home one day, told my dad, I was like, look, man, you know, pay for me to go to captain school and, you know, we'll be done with this. And he's like, sounds good to me. So <laughs> went and did like a two-week captain school and – um I think that's what it was. I can't remember what it was, but a couple week captain school go in, go in the evenings for a couple hours and got my license at I think I was eighteen when I got it and um ever since just been working on boats. Really? How old are you now? Forty four. Forty four. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's been a long time. When'd you so like um moving on from there, like did 
like did it take a a while working as a mate like on the big boats like how long did how how long did you stay in the cockpit <laughs> well um not long enough i um i thought i knew a whole lot more than i really did and, yeah um, <laughs> i met a guy uh, i was made on a 54 bertram the um sea paver and we took the boat to Cozumel, did a season down there, came back, fished in the Gulf with them a few few seasons, and uh, met a guy in Pensacola at a Cobia tournament banquet. He had just bought a 47 Viking and needed a captain, and um, he offered me the job, and I was like, heck yeah, I'll do it. You know, you know, <laughs> thought I knew everything. How old were you? 22. 22. Hell yeah. yeah. That's and um, so. Did all right. Didn't didn't tear anything up. Didn't kill anybody. Didn't hurt anybody. Didn't so uh, <laughs> made some mistakes. Learned from them, but uh, definitely started younger than I should have. I think. You think so? I would do. You, you you would have preferred looking to hindsight. To maybe? Looking back, I would or or giving anybody advice, I would have definitely suggest waiting a little longer, learning a little more. Yeah. You know, uh, just traveling around, going to new places, not being comfortable you know, navigating new places, um, kind of learning on the fly. Yeah. You know, yeah. driving the boat's not hard. That's right, that's not right. a, that's that's <laughs> not the, the mechanical part, the navigating, that type of thing is, you yeah, know. Yeah, that takes experience. It's yeah. hard to get that anywhere else. You know, I've met a number of, like, really, really good captains over the years that have gotten into it, like, as a captain at a really young age. And sometimes I wonder if, you know, you got to have the – you got to have the confidence, right? <laughs> and maybe yeah. you, you might have been like a little overconfident, but that's kind of the what you want in a captain. You want somebody that's confident and you know is is gonna go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no doubt. I was definitely confident, probably overconfident, like you said. Yeah. You know, I was confident in my fishing ability and the boat driving and all that. But once I got to have to be the captain and moving the boat from you know. Pensacola to Biloxi or to Venice or anywhere, you know, we went to the Keys, we went, yeah. you went to the Bahamas. It's a little bit easier if you'd done it before. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, kind of bit off a little more than I could chew at the time, but we made it work. And How long did you stay with him? So that guy only kept the boat for about a year and a half, two years, and then another guy from Pensacola bought it, and I worked for him for like six years, and we fished hard. He was retired. What was the name the of the boat? Data Man. Data Man. Yeah, it was a 47 Viking at the time. And um, he was retired, Tim Falzone, and kept the boat at his house and loved to fish. And we bought him fish. We did all the Cobia tournaments. You know, we started Cobia fishing mid-March all the way into May and fished every day. Wow. And then summer, we were bottom fishing, tuna fishing, marlin fishing, fishing tournaments, going to the Keys in the winter, going to the Lump in Venice in, you know, in February, March. Um we Is that how you cut your teeth on uh, tournament fishing? Yeah, pretty time? much. The yeah. offshore stuff, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Did you have any big wins with him? Yeah, quite a few. I can't, uh, I mean, the one that stands out with him, I guess, was the uh, Pensacola International. We caught a 631 Blue Marlin, and uh, I think we ended up getting second, actually. Somebody caught a wow. bigger one. But uh, What year was that? Do you remember? Man, I'm trying to remember. It had to be like 2000 and. Uh, four maybe three or four two thousand four I think and um, but that tournament man we caught a big tuna we had a big wahoo we had a big dolphin we tagged a few fish so we won money in like every division right and at the time it was a record for the tournament the biggest payout that they had I think a boat came the next year and beat it but um how much was it I think remember? it was like eighty thousand eighty grand yeah wow 
you know, back then well, that was a lot, you know. Yeah, I was just about to say times have changed. Yeah, I mean, that's not, you know, <laughs> not a big deal 80 now. grand's like, oh, fourth place, you know. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Um, And so, like, uh, following that one, which uh, which boat did you get on before, like, after that? Um. So I worked for him for like six years, I guess it was, and um, uh, I don't know what happened, but we uh, had a really good year, and a guy from Orange Beach was buying a new boat and was talking to me about coming to work for him. Anyways, I decided to work for him, for, and um, he we, were, we went hard for about a year and a half, and financially he, something happened and he had to get out, and uh, so we didn't really have much of a run with him. And then I started working on The Real Worthless and stayed with that guy, Johnny Johnson, for about six years. And we had a really good run. And my previous boss, Tim, though, and the data man, started mm-hmm. fishing with us. I introduced him to the new boss, and they got along great. So we had a great team. It was fun. It was like somebody I knew, new guy, they got along great. Yeah, it's like you put together a team over yeah. the years in a way. Yeah, cool. it was fun. We had, a, we had a really good run. Kind of the same program as I had on the data man. We Cobia fished, and then... Did all the tournaments, you know. Any uh, big wins with that that group? Yeah, yeah, quite a few. Um, probably the biggest was, um, it's terrible because I can't remember the exact weight, but we caught the only Blue Marlin in the ECBC tournament one year. And wow. it was like just shy of 500,000, like 495. Wow. Was it like a rough <coughs> tournament or something? No, or it was, just it was The slick, bite was off. The bite was off, and we just got, I mean, got the one good bite and, um, Able to capitalize. We only wanted to kill a fish in the tournament, so we got first, second, third. Wow. Yeah. Was that good. like uh, like lure fishing, or were you guys? We were live baiting. Live baiting at yep. the time. So mm-hmm. that might have to been somewhat recent. Huh? Like yeah, that was in um, probably 2009 or 10, something like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's been a while ago. I, I probably got a picture on my phone <laughs> I could look up. but Yeah, so that year actually was an interesting year because the, um, the boat we were running um, – the, it was a 64 Viking. It actually caught fire in Biloxi. Wow. We had just fished the Cajun Canyons tournament, and we brought the boat to Biloxi. I guess it would have been the Sunday, so it was the day after the tournament. We brought the boat to Biloxi, and um, me and my mates were on the boat. I was cleaning the inside. They were doing the outside. We were just kind of getting tidied up, and um, the boat caught fire. And, you know, at first it was just a little smoke. We couldn't really tell exactly where it was coming from. We tried to put it out, and it just took off and got out of control and we couldn't do anything with it so you know we thought man our season's done what are we going to do um so we're sitting there at the hotel in biloxi and the boss's wife is like hey why don't y'all just find another boat and keep going so i got to scrambling around thinking about who we could use or what boat we could use or call or whatever and it's actually some guys from mississippi um um, the real foolish. They were they kept their boat over in Pensacola. I called them up. They're buddies of ours, and they're like, yeah, I think we could do that. So they brought their boat over for Biloxi like the day before the tournament. And luckily, we were able to get a lot of the tackle off of our boat before the fire got out of control, like the rods and reels, and just just. I think my mate might have had his trays outside with his lures and whatnot. And um. We got on there and fished the tournament, and they actually got second place 
in that tournament, and then that season we just had a phenomenal season. Every tournament we killed a fish and just really every yeah, tournament, every one, every one we fished. Holy cow! I bet, I bet that feeling's hard to yeah. hard to get rid of, huh? Wow. Yeah. So we, you know, our boat catches fire. We're all down in the dumps. A couple of days later, we find a new boat and we put a, you know, those guys fish with us, the owners and of the real foolish and us and their captain. And I mean, we had a great, great team and it was a season to remember for sure. So that was with the owner that you had with the data man and the, the other, the new owner? Yeah. So I had the data man owner, the real worthless owner. So we had Tim Fowles own Johnny Johnson and then the owner of the real foolish. Um, oh wow! So a bunch of experience, yeah, like we had a big crew. I think in most tournaments we had nine or ten people on the boat. It was a sixty scully. Same wow, thing. That's a lot of people, man. Yeah, it was crowded, but man, <laughs> we made the best out of it. You know, it was fun. It was a great season. Yeah, and how like how essential is that to you know having a a successful season is is, is contributed to like having a well balanced team. I mean, that's got to be a huge part of it, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Having a uh, everybody on the boat getting along, having a happy boat, I guess. I don't know how else to say it, but, you know, just a good vibe on the boat. There's no drama. Everybody's getting along. Everybody's having a good time is more more important to me than having a cockpit full of superstar mates from all over the world. You know I mean? Like, just having everybody that's tight-knit and gets along yeah. is more important to me. Yeah, I I would definitely agree. I think Clayton said that. He's like, man, it's all about the vibe on the boat. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. That sounded like Clayton. <laughs> but definitely, definitely vibe on the boat. You yeah. know, if you got drama or somebody's, we always say poopy pants. If you got somebody that's poopy pants, you know, because we're not catching them and the boat next to us is, it's just it's not good. Yeah, yeah, you know? <laughs> definitely. It doesn't do anything. A bad attitude doesn't do anything for no. you. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of these tournaments, it just takes one bite. You know, one bite. You know, you go from hero to zero. Yeah. So that's crazy. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's crazy how it's like sometimes you f- you feel like like it's at the time where you feel like nothing's going your way <laughs> or like everybody's kind of not paying attention and then you know something just happens and it, and yep. it works out. Yeah, stay awesome. positive for yeah. sure. So how many wins did you guys have that season? <coughs> um. I don't know that we – I'm trying to remember if we had – other well, ECBC, we got first place. But Biloxi, we got second. Cajun Canyons, I think we might have – we either won or got second place in the catch and release. Um, where did we go from there? Blue Marlin Grand Championship, I think we got second. Um, Memorial Day, we placed. I don't remember. It wasn't first. It was first, second, or third. Um, you placed in almost every one. Yeah. Wow. One. That's crazy. Every single one. Did um and then like the following season were you able to replicate it or <laughs> so actually that winter the owner of the real worthless died. Okay. Had a heart attack at his hunting camp. Wow. Yep. And my mate at the time, Alex Penny, was actually up there with him and found him. So that kinda that program fell apart and Wow. You know, That's yeah. a sad story, but man, it sounds like he went out with a bang. Yeah. <laughs> man, I it was a little upset because um he actually never caught a blue marlin that we weighed in a tournament he caught plenty of them released them caught them fun fishing but he never caught one that we we gaffed and brought in for a tournament and he really wanted to but he just you know he's never on the rod like we we did it all you know anglers hooked their own fish did it all igfa and uh it's just for whatever reason you know he'd go 
take a nap or get a sandwich or go to the bathroom or whatever. Wrong place at the wrong time. Somebody else would be on the rod and get bit. And, you know, so I hate that he never got that opportunity. But he was, man, a great sport about it. Always had a good attitude and was fun to be around. That's cool. So what would you decide to do the next season? So that winter um, I was actually kicking around the idea of, of getting out of sport fishing and doing something different. Um, you know, I was kind of lost my buddy you know we just had a great run for six years and i was just thinking it was time to do something different and um the guy that i duck hunt with robert bonifay we were sitting on the duck blind i was like man you know i'm not working right now this is in december or january you know it's duck season so um i know the guy that you fish with you know he's an owner operator but does he ever need any help with his boat just some maintenance stuff or taking fish or whatever it may be so they spoke, and um, I went and met him, Dana Foster, and met him. We talked, had a good talk, and uh, kind of started out as a part-time thing. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, just come to work, and we'll just figure it out and see what happens. And I think it was, I think I had a six-year run with him also. And um, he just recently got out, sold his boat. and um, What was the name of that boat? Born to Run. Oh, the Born to Run. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so when I, I went saw to work, that name a lot. <laughs> So when I went to work for him, he had a 63 Hatters, and great boat. We loved it. Just didn't have, you know, didn't have a sea keeper, didn't have a sonar. Um, you know, didn't have everything that we needed or wanted. So he bought a uh, 72 Viking open bridge a couple years later. We built that from scratch. That was fun. You know, we'd, we'd made a list for a year of things that we wanted to do, and, yeah. you know, so when it was time to build the boat, we were ready. And, um kept that boat for another year and a half or two and built another 72 Viking where we built an enclosed bridge that time. And that's the boat he just, he just sold a couple months ago. And, um, man, we had a great run, had a good team. Um, so we had a full-time mate, Tyler Maxwell for most of the time and a couple other guys, Robert and Beeve and Doug that fished with us. Um, and then Dana and Lisa as wife. So, wow. Yep. That's awesome. So a quick question I just thought of is, like, whenever you had that really good run with the real fuelish and, and that whole thing, was it at a time where, like, you guys had the right sonar and stuff like that, or was that pre No, you know, I don't really – I can't put a finger on what – I mean, I think it was just our our year. You know, there's always a boat that gets hot every year. Yeah, you, know, you notice – I noticed that. There's, like, a boat that is for whatever reason they get it. We were um, – that was – not real early into the live baiting, but we, we had done a lot of it. And I'm not going to say we perfected it, but we just kind of committed to it, and that's what we did. And everybody was on board with it. You know, we were good at catching the bait. We had good tuna tubes. You know, we just were kind of – there was just a few boats, probably a handful of boats at that time that were just 100% live baiting. And I think that was a lot of it. I think we just were – Committed to committed doing, to doing that bait. that year, and then once we got on that roll, it just you know, like I said, once a boat gets hot, they just kind of stay hot. So yeah. Um, but then in that following boat, I guess you guys started getting the the sonars that allowed you kind of look at these big fish off to the side and stuff. Actually, we didn't get a sonar. I didn't have a sonar till um, about two years, three years ago, two years ago. Really? Wow. Yep. And we had. On the second Viking that we that the second Born to Run Viking is when we got the sonar. 
What's that sonar called? Because it's not just any kind of sonar. What's it? What's it? Actually the one we called? have is the Furuno Omni. Omni. Yep. Wow. And it's a 360 degree. You know. And does it really like go through the hole like people yep. say? Like it yep. drops down. Actually, I've I never just, used. I one. was just talking to our electronics guy over there a minute ago, <coughs> and um, they're installing the one on the cheeseburger tomorrow. And it, I was asking him because all every boat's different how far they come down. Ours is going to come down 22 inches. 22 inches. Yep. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah, guys, I, I forgot to mention where we're at. We're actually here at Saunders uh, Yacht Works here in Orange Beach, and uh, we're on. We're in a place doing the podcast while his boat, the Cheeseburger, is uh, is getting the routine work done, getting ready to. It's a little more than routine. <laughs> a little more than routine, a little more involved. <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, so when I went to work for them, they had an engine failure, and so we had both engines pulled out. Totally rebuilt. Um, so what, what, to get the engines out, they had to cut the salon floor out and take the bulkhead out of the cockpit. So while all that was out, we had the sea keepers removed, replacing those, uh, transmissions rebuilt, new generator, tuna tubes, sonar, um, engine room vents, new engine. I mean, we, it's a l- long list, but wow getting all everything you guys yeah. getting geared up huh yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be like a new boat <laughs> so. it sounds like you guys are gonna do some traveling huh that's the plan yeah when the boat gets out of the yard you know maybe do a couple uh shake down trips here you know make sure everything's good you know after all the what size day. is that boat 60 it's a 60 mm-hmm. okay cool and then um hopefully go to the caribbean spend some time down there that's awesome as a as a captain, do you prefer like what's your preferred size boat? Do you think it there's a point where they get kind of too big, or do you feel like as far as sport fishing goes that there's a there's a good medium there? I do. Um, those seventy twos that we had, the seventy two Vikings, they were they were getting too big. Like they're on the brink. Yeah, you know, if it was full of fuel, if you had all your fuel in the cockpit, and you're trying to back down on the fish, it was. I'm not gonna say sluggish, but not as agile as like a 60 footer. Like, but so on your the favorite, other, is that your, like your favorite side? Is is like a 60? Or? It depends on what you're doing. Um, for where we're going down in the Caribbean, I would say yeah, a 60 footer. For here in the Gulf, where you're gonna stay out a couple nights and you need a ton of fuel, you know, the 70, 72 Viking, anything in that 65 to 70 foot range, you know, they ha- they've got a ton of fuel. They got room for everyone to stay. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you got the big sea keepers. Um they're nice, but Yeah, it's kinda you, in the Gulf you almost have to have something that you you can live on. <laughs> yeah. And other places you guys don't really Right, you're doing day home. trips, yeah. Yeah, you're doing day trips in there in and out. You said you did a bunch of uh cobia tournaments. Like what was one of your biggest cobias that you caught? We caught one hundred and twenty six pounds. Hundred and twenty six pounds? <laughs> yeah. Holy moly. Yeah, it was in the Hogs Breath tournament, which used to be out of Destin uh, at the Hogs Breath restaurant or bar or whatever. They had it down there. And it was the last weekend in April. And um, Was it during a tournament? Yeah, Hogs Breath tournament, yeah. <laughs> Holy cow, It was man. like the second year of the tournament, I guess. And back then, I don't know, surely nobody will care now, but back then it was cash only. And like when you won, they gave you a brown paper bag with $100 bills. <laughs> and it was like, I think we won like forty grand or something. It was pretty cool. It was like winner-take-all awesome. tournament. <laughs> but it was late. In the season, it was it was the end of April, and um, the big black leatherback turtles had showed up. And that time of year, you know, the cobias get on them, and 
So that was kind of the strategy was to go look for the turtles and find the cobias because there wasn't many what we call free swimmers. There wasn't many migrators. They were all on the turtles. Mm-hmm. So we're riding along. We got a report from the day before. A guy had found a bunch of them kind of kind of offshore a little bit, deeper than we would normally fish. And we found a couple and didn't have any fish on them. A couple turtles that didn't have any fish on them. And then we found one that had five fish, and one of them was an absolute giant. So we pull up, we set up. You know, the plan is to throw, you know, we're throwing live eels, throw the live eel to the to the f- fish and try to pull it away from the smaller ones and then somebody throw a bait to the bigger one. Well, that didn't work out. A <laughs> <laughs> couple guys hooked up with, you know, smaller fish and, you know, it's kind of turned into a fire drill and one of the guys on the boat, Sam Camriotis, hooked the big one, hooked the 126. Had him on and I don't know what happened, but he just pulled the hook, like, immediately pulled the hook. He just choked. <laughs> so I kind of was upset about that. Anyways, turtle goes down. So we're sitting there waiting for him to pop back up, waiting and waiting and waiting, and almost give up. Like, man, we screwed that up. You know, that was our shot. We, I can only imagine seeing a, one that that's – I mean, I've, I don't think I've ever seen a 100-pounder. I might have seen a couple 80-pounders, but, like, seeing one that big, I mean, you're talking a, a fish that's – I mean, that's 50 pounds bigger than an 80-pounder. <laughs> yeah, he's giant. And when he bit the first time, like, he was coming right at us, mm-hmm. and his mouth open, like, just, oh, man, he looked he looked 200 pounds when he bit. I can only imagine. Those things look so big when they're – I mean, I've seen a couple – I think my biggest is, like, 70. I, it's one of my bucket list fishes to catch one over 100 pounds. Uh, hopefully it happens one day. But, man, I just can't imagine 126 yeah, pounds. That's just nuts. wild. Was that any kind of record? No, uh, I think the Florida's state record at the time was 131. Wow. Um, but yeah, continue so, your story. Yeah, this I'm is a this is a long story, but it's a it's a kind of worth it. One. Yeah, um, you got to keep it. <laughs> so the turtle goes down, and I'm you know back then I was still fairly young at the time and had a temper and you know so I was pissed and I might have said a few words and was like just like man I can't believe we screwed that up you know I can't believe this. <laughs> Anyways, turtle comes back up. We find it again. We throw again. We hook the, f- the big fish again. And we got him on. Like, everything's good. We're still in the tower. You know, we use a, we use a, we call it a trolley. It's just a, a line with a roller and a carabiner you clip your rod to and send it down. Well, anyways, we got the fish on. Everything's good. About to send it down the trolley. Can you explain the trolley again? I'm okay, right. so we, when we're Cobia fishing, we fish out of the tower. Uh-huh. We actually cast out of the tower. We spot them and cast out of the tower. So on this boat, it was that, that Viking, the 47 Viking. And instead of climbing out of the tower and holding the rod in one hand and climbing down the ladder in the other, we would clip the reel to a carabiner oh, that's okay. on a rope. It's similar to like a... Shimmying something down like a bucket. <laughs> yeah, kind of like an outrigger. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically yeah. the same thing with a carabiner on there. And you pull the boat away so you keep it tight. And you'd let it down, and there'll be somebody in the cockpit that grabs it, and they fight the fish. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So we were just about to hook the rod to the carabiner, and the fish takes off and runs right back to the turtle and wraps us up in the turtle and breaks us off. <laughs> so this is twice we've hooked this fish. <laughs> oh, well, the first time, I don't know where we ever really hooked him, but the second time we had him on and, like, pull and drag and, you know, got him. Breaks us off. Turtle goes down. I say some more words. I'm pissed. I'm like, man, how in the world did we have two shots of this giant fish? And 
couldn't find it forever. So I finally give up on it. Like we leave it, leave the area, go try to find another one. And I'm still pissed. I'm like, man, we're not going to see another one that big. Well, hell no. Maybe ever. <laughs> Definitely not in this tournament. <laughs> and uh, so I go down. Maybe you know, more you're Kobe fishing. You're going east and west down the coast. You know. Mm-hmm. And um, so we we're fishing west now. You know, we're off Pensacola Beach. We're heading towards Orange Beach. And I go down maybe a mile or so, and I'm still thinking about this. And I'm like, you know what? I got to go back and look. Like, I got to make another pass through there. I mean, that's a once-in-a-lifetime fish. Spin back around, come back up my track line on my chart plotter. And just out of pure luck, we find it again. I mean, like, like I don't – I mean, I don't, it was just kind of meant to be, I guess. I mean, it's crazy that we – it had to be the same one because there's not that there's many. There's no – yeah. Yeah, I mean <laughs> – you for, for sure it was the same turtle? Or? It had to be. It, had it was to, the yeah. same line. It was the same size fish. It had the same number of fish on it. I mean, there's, yeah, you know, yeah. it had to be. So, anyways, we throw at the fish. There's two little bitty ones, like two little cobias that probably aren't even legal. There's the big one, and then there's, like, one other what we call a grater. They had to be 45 inches at the time to be able to weigh in the tournament. And um, so we throw, and the big one and the and – the, the greater kind of they fire up they what we mean by fire up they like chase the bait they wouldn't bite you know which is kind of understandable we've already messed with them a few times you know so i was like all right no big deal we'll just lay off of them we'll follow them for a while but the problem was when the turtle would go down you know you would lose them well what happened total luck again when the turtle would go down the two little baby ones would stay on top and just migrate like just regular like there wasn't a turtle there. You would if you were driving by and didn't didn't know, you would think it was just two small ones just migrating. Right. <clears throat> so we follow them and right before the turtle would come up every time, the the two little ones would start doing circles. Turtle would pop up and there the two copias would be the, the greater and the big one. So we throw every time he'd come up we'd throw and then we'd get a little reaction out of the fish. They'd act like they were gonna bite, but they wouldn't bite. So this goes on for like an hour. I mean there was I think it was, I don't know, I remember there was one time we waited like 30 minutes to even throw. Like the fish would, the turtle would come up, the fish would come up with it. We wouldn't even throw. We just kind of. Letting them get comfortable yeah, with just you, relax and, being there yeah. and everything. Yeah. So we throw, and it's starting to get a little later in the day. And um, when we're cobia fishing, we want a southeast wind because the fish are migrating with the waves. Well, a lot of times, especially late in the year, you'll get a southwest sea breeze. Just from heat, convection, whatever, which isn't good for the cobias because then they got to swim into the seas and they usually go down and you don't see as many. Well, it started to do that. I'm like, man, we're, we we got to make something happen because we're not going to get another chance. Well, we're getting closer to Pensacola Pass because we're following this fish. It's been like an hour. And the tide line, the bay water had pushed out of Pensacola Bay, so there was a tide line. Well, the fish crossed the tide line, and the water got dirtier. And uh, Tommy Holmes, who owns Outcast Bait and Tackle, he was on board with us. And he'd gone to the bow, and he had a we would he had a rod with a no leader. I don't know why he used a J hook, but he did. And a big what we call a ruby lip. You know what a ruby lip is? Yeah, so, yeah. Like a grunt, right? Yeah. And he fired that thing out there from the bow. And as soon as it hit the water, that big fish just shot out there and exploded on it like it hadn't seen a bait all day. <laughs> and we're like, oh, my God. 
So Screw we got the him all. Huh? You want the grunt? <laughs> yeah. Which we had tried a bunch of different baits and no leaders and all earlier, and they just he just didn't bite. You know, I don't know if just sitting off of him that long or getting into the dirtier water. Or yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Maybe the dirtier water kind of changed his tune. Maybe. maybe there was temperature or something. <laughs> it uh, so we got him on, on a no leader rod. We know it's a giant fish, and so now we're kind of stressing about that. Wraps us in the freaking turtle again. Again. The turtle rolls over like i guess he feels a line and like just doesn't completely roll over but like turns on his back and the line comes off the turtle and we're free we got we got the fish on we're away from the turtle everything's good i'm like all right whatever i don't know what's going on but we're we're hooked up we got him on we're fighting him and the fish swims to the boat and treats the boat like it's the turtle like, it's just swimming along right next to the boat. We'll not leave the boat. We're, you know, boat up, got tight. We're on, you know, and we couldn't do anything with him. Like, you back. Well, there's so, a he bunch. was, like, hugging up next to the boat while you had him on the line? Yeah. And just staying yeah. with you? Yeah, and we're pulling on him, doing everything we can do. We can't get him to get away. I'm trying to pull the boat away from him. He's just staying with the boat, like, stuck to the side of the boat. I'm you like, gaff him. Well, <laughs> so back then we used these big, giant nets for cobia fishing because mm-hmm. – most of these tournaments were aggregate tournaments. We figured we could save some weight by using nets. We didn't. And we let a lot of them go because we fished every day. and We were tagging a bunch. So we used these big old giant nets. We had custom made, you know, aluminum nets, big old giant mesh. So my mate at the time, Zane Godwin, he's big old boy. I mean, big old strong dude. He'd stick that net in the water, and that fish would just, like, swim around and come right back to the boat. Did that three or four times, and I'm already thinking, you know, we got him no leader. He's wrapped us in the turtle. So the line's probably chafed somewhere, you know. Get the gaffs, which I don't. I think that might have been the only one we gaffed all year. We normally didn't gaff him. So we, he reaches down there and sticks this fish with a gaff, and it goes freaking apeshit. As like expected. It, you know, Kobe is already due. This thing's green. We're 20 minutes into it. I've caught three other 100-pounders, and they all took 45 minutes. This one was 20 minutes. Rips him over the side of the boat, throws him in the boat, fish comes off the gaff, and he is going from one side of the boat to the other, slinging shit everywhere. There's buckets going everywhere. People are running to the bridge to get out of the way. <laughs> and Zane's down there like a hockey goalie, standing like guarding the transom door with a billy club, you know, a little baseball bat. And every time that fish would go from one side of the cockpit to the other, he'd just hit it wherever he could hit it, in the tail, in the side, trying to hit it in the head. <laughs> Half the time he misses, he's hitting the deck. There's, oh man, it was a mess. And uh, <laughs> everything kind of settles down, or he's like, "Oh my god, I can't believe what happened!" And they're all freaking out, wanting to know how big it is. And I was like, "Man, I saw a guy weigh a hundred pounder yesterday, and this one's way bigger." They're like, "No way!" It's like, "Man, he's giant. He's huge." So we get settled down, and <laughs> you know, we're riding back towards Destin, just kind of fishing our way back. Everybody's fired up. One of the guys on the boat, Steve Brown, he brings us up a bunch of rum drinks. We're drinking rum drinks at the tower. <laughs> and we're like, we get greedy at this point. We're like, man, we need one more grader for the aggregate because it was a three-fish aggregate. We had the big one and another one. And we're like, we need one more. So we're just kind of like, whatever, dude. If we catch one, that's great. Find another turtle with three fish on it. Fire down there, catch a 50-pounder. Go in, win the aggregate and the and the. One big the whole fish. thing, yeah. big fish and the aggregate. Wow. It was sick. It was it was insane. <laughs> you won't ever forget that. I'm no, right. I won't. That's a that's well, let me one. get this right though. You said you've caught four over a hundred pounds? Yeah. Wow. 
That's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. I've I've never I've never seen one hundred pounds. I've never got one hundred pounds, man. That's that's pretty wild. How long ago has it been since you caught your latest hundred pounder? Uh, it would have been. I think that one twenty six. I'm trying to remember if we yeah. got one after that. Hmm. No, that would have been it. And I don't remember which year that was. But man, in the nine late na- late nineties and early two thousands, it was different I mean, ball game. Huh? Yeah, it was. They <laughs> were everywhere. Not there wasn't hundred pounders everywhere, but it. I mean, there's a handful of them caught a year. Yeah, yeah. Have you uh, you fish the Cobia tournament since? Or yeah, we have. Still? We 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 still stuck with it, even though the fishing's not what it used to be. We still fish them. Um, it's kind of disappointing. Yeah. Depressing a little bit because that's you know that's my favorite kind of fishing or was. Yeah, I yeah. can see it, man. That's it's one of my favorite fish to catch, without a doubt. I mean. <laughs> yeah, the sight <laughs> fishing's fun and. It. I don't know. We got a pretty good group of guys that that fish together and do it, and you know we all grew up together fishing, so it's a lot of fun doing. Yeah, I always kind of feel like some for a lot of reasons, like whatever kind of fishing you started off doing is kind of like, you know, what you really really love. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said earlier, growing up on that pier, you know, I would stand out there as a little kid and see these guys that, you know, to me at the time were legends. You know, they'd stand on in that pier and they could see a cobia for a half a mile away and make a perfect shot with a jig, you know, 100 <laughs> yards, I don't know how far, as far as you could throw it, and they'd just put it right where it needed to be. And it's like, man, these guys are amazing. Yeah, I could definitely see how that could fuel a, a cobia addiction for yeah. sure. <laughs> waiting out on that pier, just waiting and waiting, and then it, it just grows into trying to become the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and look at you now, you got 400 pounders. <laughs> yeah, very lucky for yeah, sure. That's awesome, man. What is your uh, favorite type of fishing right now, currently? Um, man, it changes. Like a couple of years ago, I was I would have said tarpon fishing. You know, we had a pretty good little tarpon run off the, you know, kind of doing the same thing we do Kobe fishing, right around towers, spot the big schools, set up on them, catch them. And then this past season, it was really slow. Um, mm-hmm. Any kind of sight fishing, really. I yeah. mean, even if it's sight fishing redfish or pompano, I, I get into that a little bit in the spring. Go sight fish pompano and. Yeah, it's all about the bite, right? Yeah, seeing it happen. Yeah, tricking them. Like yeah. the redfish are fun, or they're hard, difficult over where we live, and tricking them to bite. You know, that's the thing is figuring out the the whatever yeah. the pattern that they want or whatever it is that they want. Yeah, I find for me it's like it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter what it is, but it's like if you're on something really like for as a guy, I mean, fish a lot. So if I'm on something like really good. It almost want, makes me want to go do something that I don't know is so good. Like you're trying to find, it's figuring it all out. That's yeah. the most fun, you know. Figuring it out, getting better, doing changing something, and then seeing what the the change, the difference that the change made is like. Yeah, I don't know, it's huge for like your confidence, yeah. getting better, the whole thing. Coming sure. up with an idea or a plan and going out and it working out, you know, that's fun. Checking new spots, trying new things. You yeah. Know. I mean, and, and as you, like, you came, became a captain at the age of 22, so would you say a lot of the stuff that you, you've learned or the majority of the stuff that you've learned um, is kind of stuff that you came up with yourself, like some of your techniques and stuff, or do you feel like there's been, I'm sure it's a collaboration, I'm sure people give you knowledge here and there, but is there a lot of things that you feel like you kind of came off with your own that kind of set you apart from everybody? I mean, you don't have to disclose what they are either. <laughs> I don't want all your secrets. I'm just saying. Like. Some of it, but I got to fish with some really good guys younger. I mean, some guys that really thought outside the box. Ben Ferry is one that comes to mind. Um, 
some of the, you know, when I was trying to get into the charter fishing industry as a mate back then, it was tough. Like, there were some really, really good mates on boats, and, like, you couldn't just go get a job. And some a lot of those guys would take me along as a second mate. Chad Linkus yeah. uh, was one of them. You um, had to really work at them to get you to. Yeah, and I learned a lot from out. those guys. You know, I learned a lot. I mean, they were all very, very good fishermen. Um, so that and a lot of it goes back to fishing on that pier as a kid, like just learning how to catch bait when bait was tough and, you know, downsizing tackle to get a fish to bite. You know, that was one of the things we would do a lot in the summer is these big, giant Spanish mackerel would swim around the pier, and they were finicky as hell, like, but they just kind of lived there. Mm-hmm. And trying to trick them into biting. I mean, it was just, like, coming up with <laughs> different baits, and we would uh, cut belly strips and do all these different things. And, it, you know, just thinking about that stuff at night and sitting at home rigging tackle, like, man, I'm going to try this tomorrow and yeah. going back, you know. I mean. That kind of sticks with you. Like, when you kind of I, – I can see how that could stick with you because, like, you're sitting on a pier looking at these fish, and then you do something and it works – and then the next thing you're targeting might be a blue marlin in a tournament, and you're like, man, maybe if I do it like this, and it just kind of it, it makes you like learn to learn or yeah. pay attention to what you're seeing, you know. Well, that was one of the reasons we got into live baiting so much <laughs> for the blue marlins was, you know, as a kid, everything you did was live bait. We go speckled trout fishing, we live baited. We went, you know, king mackerel fishing, we live baited. If you trolled a duster around with a cigar minnow in it you might catch one but if you put a live cigar minnow out there you're going to get ate up yeah. you go trout fishing you put a croaker out there you're going to get bit you go throw a mirror lure you might throw a hundred <laughs> times and not get bit so i'm like fish eat fish it's like, yeah it's like, <laughs> why not use right. live bait yeah so blue marlin fishing around a rig was just king mackerel fishing at the sea buoy times 10 i mean you're just you're doing the yeah. same thing you catch a bait was there anybody that told you to start trying to do a live bait or did you see somebody else be successful that made you want to do it or not really um you know it kind of happened at, as an accident at first we were tuna fishing and you know catching tunas on hardtails and then we get bit by a blue marlin we're like well okay let's just put a heavier leader on and catch the blue marlin you know and then what year was that when you started Probably, it was in the first year I ran the data man, so that would have been 2002, probably. Wow, 2002. Yeah. Wow. But we only had, at first we didn't have any tubes. We would, yeah, so like, that's what I was going to ask. Did they have tubes at the time? Was that like a... When we first started, we didn't have any tubes. Like, the we, we would catch a bait and put it out. And then, I mean, we had a live well, we'd put hardtails in, and we'd catch those big those big ocean going, the big black hardtails, you know, we'd use those. Those were our favorite bait because mm-hmm. we could keep them alive in the live well. They lived good. They were too big for the tunas to bite, usually. And they, I mean, they'd stay on top. You'd always see the bite when the blue marlin bit. And then we got a pack or a stack of two tubes. I, I think we saw them in Melton or something. I can't remember where we found them, but we a pack of two. Man, we thought we were the, you know, the <laughs> yeah. shit. We had two tunas. You got tunas. the secret now. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so that's where it started. And the next year, we uh, we didn't just 100% commit to live baiting because we didn't have enough tubes and, you know. Not whatever. confident enough either, right? <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, the first blue marlin we caught live baiting was 
actually around a group of whale sharks in the Labor Day tournament at the double nipple area. I mean, there was like five or six whale sharks. There was bait everywhere. And you could see the blue marlin actually up there on wow. top. Like That sounds like some Nat Geo type yeah, of shit. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't happen like it used to. Like That used to be a common thing. In the late summer, the elbow down the double nipple area, there was whale sharks. And there was bait everywhere. I say bait, like skipjack tunas, black fins, yeah. small yellow fins. So anyways, we're trolling circles around these bait balls and not getting bit. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, you can see the blue marlin and they're swimming through the bait. Really? <laughs> fins out of the water. It's like you see like whiteies and like striped marlin and stuff cutting bait. But it was blue marlin up there doing it. And I'm like, why in the hell are they going to eat this damn lure when they got Tunas. acres of live bait? Yeah. So we, I yelled down to Zane, same guy that gaffed the big, the big uh, cobia. And uh, I was like, man, let's catch a bait and put it out. <laughs> He's like, all right, whatever. You know, he'd read an article in Marlin Magazine or how they do it in Hawaii or something. So we just cut the end off of one of our lure leaders. It had a big single hook in it and somehow just jerry-rigged something. And we caught, out there. Yeah, we caught a big skipjack tuna. And he was, I don't know if he was too big or we didn't have a, rig or a rigger clip set right or whatever, but Zane was holding the line in his hand in the reel and free spool with a clicker on and he's sitting there holding it and I'm dragging this thing around trying to keep up with these whale sharks and all of a sudden he's like, man, I think a bit and he drops it and it's taking off and I was like, hell, I don't know what to do. Feed him. And so we're, you know, however long we think it takes, he locks it up, we get tight, we fight this thing we're like, hell yeah, we caught one, you know. <laughs> and um, he wasn't big enough to bring in but it was still cool to catch one that way so we thought we had it figured out. Like, oh man, we know how to do it now. All we got to do is find <laughs> these whale sharks and catch a bait and we're good. So the next year, we ended up catching a couple. We caught a bunch of fish, but we actually killed a couple um, live baiting around, like, the Marlin Rig and the Rampal area. Wow. And um, Were you pretty secretive at the time? I mean, I mean, yeah. I know the live baiting thing's kind of cats out the bag now. Yeah, kind of at first. You know, we, I mean, people knew we were doing it because you could see the tuna tubes in the cockpit. But, <sighs> yeah. you know, it's hard to get people to change what they're doing. Yeah, once you're confident in something, you yeah. want to keep doing that. Yeah. So, but still, it took us years before we were just 100% totally live bait. I mean, it was yeah. live bait in the morning for a little while, and then throw the lures out and drag around, and live bait a little bit in the afternoon. And, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty wild, man. I've seen a number of them come up at those tunas, and it definitely makes you – you know you know what's one fish? You said something there about, uh, you know, everything else eats live bait. Why wouldn't we use live bait for, for Marlin? I've, I've said the same thing a lot about swordfish. Like, nobody uses live bait for swordfish. <laughs> I've caught a couple on live hardtails. You have? But. I, you know, at night I've seen guys. Yeah, do yeah, it. yeah, at night. But, like, the daytime particularly because you're dropping it. I don't know if it's because, I don't know. To me it doesn't seem that impossible to do it, but. I don't think a, um, I don't think a bait that we could catch on the surface, like a hardtail or a, a, a tuna's not because you got to keep him moving. Or I don't think anything that you could catch is going to live at that depth. I think the depth, the pressure of the water is going to be too yeah. much for them. To find a, a lucky squid or something. <laughs> yeah, squid. and then to catch something on the bottom, yeah. bring it up, rig it, and send it back down, it's not going to live either. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is true. I don't know. I've thought I, I've always thought, like, bonitas could work. No? They're, they're going to die because you're, not, you're not dragging them fast enough. they got to keep moving. 
That makes sense, I guess. I say that. I haven't done a ton of daytime fishing, <laughs> but I don't think you're dragging them around at three knots, but maybe yeah. you are. The craziest thing that I've seen, like, it's amazing to me how many, uh, like, mullet and pogies and herring. And I've even found ladyfish in those swordfish. Like, it's amazing how many pogies and stuff you'll see. And I guess that's them coming to them because huh. you wouldn't think, like, mullet and herring and stuff would go down that deep. But it makes you... But at night, though. You know, yeah. the swordfish come up at night. Yeah. It's always weird, though. You cut open a swordfish, and there's mullets just gorging <laughs> from their stomach. Really? There's mullet after mullet. It's weird. I don't know if you guys get them like that, but, I mean, you know, out of Venice, they don't have to go that far to get to, you know, where those mullet. I mean, we see mullet out in blue water all the time out there. Is so it more this time of year or in the fall, like when the mullet are pushing offshore? To I'd say late fall in the winter. Yep. Yeah. So the fish are up there on that, the swordfish are up there on that edge, and yeah, the sure mullet are moving out there. And at night, I bet you they come up and feed on those balls. Yeah, it's still cool to see them. In the yeah. <laughs> cool. Have you gotten into the to the swordfish thing? I know that's kind of like a not too much. We do. Uh, I haven't done. I've never caught a daytime one personally. Um, yeah. I haven't spent much time doing it. You know, we always put a bait out at night when we're drifting around. We've had some good nights, and we've had nights where we like hey we're gonna go sword fishing we'll go over around the spur area and um you know catch i don't know i think one of our best nights was three you know yeah. good, uh, 100 to 150 pounders you know no no great big ones I'm never, I, the biggest one i ever caught was probably two something and we had to let it go because back during the bay point tournament they used to give you release points for it and really? we, we hooked it right before daylight fought it in the daylight it jumped it was cool as shit i mean that was whenever bay point was you know years ago mm-hmm and um, had to let him go. Got him up there and got a couple good <laughs> pictures and cut him loose. But wow, dang man. Um, so like, what is your biggest blue marlin that you've that you've caught? I mean, biggest one I killed is uh, I think it's six thirty one. Actually, I've never caught a great big one. I've caught a great a bunch of great big ones, but never during a tournament. Yeah, you don't think you have any of the ones that you have you caught a grander <laughs> by chance? You might uh, say, there's so many people on my podcast now that so we killed, we had a grander, we let him go, or he was there. Man, I don't know if I want to tell this story because it sounds like a typical fish story, and I don't normally tell it because of this. No, I want to hear it. you got to tell it. <laughs> God. <laughs> Cat's out the bag now. Oh, man. All right. So the data man, the 47 Viking, we were on a day trip fishing out of Pensacola. We went to the nipple elbow area. It's like. I think the elbow's 40 miles, the nipple's 30, whatever, somewhere in there. It was just me, the owner, Tim Falzone, and Zane on board. And, you know, this was back before camera phones. This was, you know, we had a handheld video camera, which we normally always had on the boat. This was before GoPros and all that. Well, the boss had taken it off the boat to, he had it in his office at his house because he was editing all the videos that we had for the year. He was kind of putting it on a disc and, yeah, this is back when you had, you know, burned discs and stuff. I mean, this was a long time ago. So we're fishing along, and he used to make us pull this damn knucklehead lure, which I hate. I mean, it's a two-piece lure. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It was made years ago, I think, by Seven Strand made it. It was like a Kona-style shaped head, but it was two pieces. So it would rattle and make all this stupid noise, and it, would, it wouldn't run straight. It looked like crap behind the boat. It was terrible. <laughs> Hated the thing. But there was this old guy, Steve Kaiser, used to fish over there, and he pulled it all the time. He caught a ton of fish on it. 
So our boss would make us pull one of these things. We hated it. So anyways, we're fishing. We had that stupid thing out. We're dragging around, and we we had a white marlin bite. We missed it. And I was like, man, I'm going to hang out right here for a little while, you know, give it an hour, see if we get another bite or mark anything or whatever. And um, never got a bite, but I was kind of turned around facing my chart plotter, looking down, trying to get back to my mark where we had the bite. And I heard the bite. I heard, like, the explosion. And I look back, and there's this giant hole in the water right behind the right rigger, which is where that stupid freaking knucklehead <laughs> lure was. But it didn't pop the rigger clip. It just You just heard the explosion, and I'm like, man, what was that? And Zane's like, I don't know. Must have been a big tuna or something. I don't know. We're looking and looking, and this thing comes up, and it's like pushing awake from behind the lure and bites, pops it out, runs out there like, I don't know, four or 500 yards right on top, comes up, makes like half-ass jump, you know, not much. Didn't do much at all. Clear everything back up to it and at the time neither one of us had ever killed a marlin you know we'd caught a few but never caught one that or never killed one so we didn't really have anything to gauge it to and we're like man that thing's got to be 800 pounds he's giant you know we back up there get him on the leader and pull and he's just swimming paddling straight away behind the boat and we're looking at him and he takes off again and the boss tim you know he loved to fight everything stand up so we had it on a 50 wide stand up He's harnessed in, you know, everything's good. We're fighting this thing for a while. We get on the leader, I don't know how many times, probably a dozen or more. I mean, the fish is just paddling. It doesn't even, it's not even really acting like it's hooked. It's just swimming down sea and just, like, nothing's going on. We get on, you know, Zane get on the leader, he pull, and that fish wouldn't really give a shit. And, you know, if he pulled a little bit, he'd kind of kick its tail and shoot off and run 100 yards or whatever. So, we're doing this for... I don't know. It turns into several hours, and Tim's starting to get tired. You know, he's in stand-up gear. It's hot. It's late summer, September, actually. And um, he's like, next time you get it, just, you know, just turn it loose. I was like, man, I don't know. We need, this thing's really, really big. We ought to think about killing it, you know. It's not a tournament. It's just fun fishing. And Tim's like, no, we're not, we're not going to kill it. We're going to let it go no matter what. We're going to let it go. We got no pictures of this thing. It's just us on board. You know, been talking to a couple other boats, telling them that we were thinking about killing it. And they're like, man, I'll bring my mate over and throw him on there with a gaff and help you all out. Bring you a camera. And I'm like, man, I don't want to mess up y'all's trip, you know. So we never did. And we get him up there. I mean, it's like five hours into it now. And we're backing up there. And Zane's pulling on the wire. And the fish would shoot off 100 yards. And Tim's about to die. <laughs> so... I'm like, whatever. We've technically caught this thing, but we wanted to get a measurement and, you know, whatever. So what I did is when he would grab the leader and pull and the fish would shoot off 100 yards, I'd spin the boat and parallel him and just, like, run with the fish. And the fish would get pissed off and he'd turn, like, 90 degrees and do it again. And we did that about, I don't know, five, six times, maybe more. I don't know how long, how many times we did that. But it was like the fish just kind of got winded from doing all these little 100-yard sprints. And he wasn't getting any line because I was keeping the boat with him. So we got him up there and finally kind of got him alongside the boat. And he pulled and got him laying on his side and just the fish is kind of laying on his side, still colored up. And like I said earlier, Zane's a big old strong dude. I mean, he's, you know, at the time probably 300 pounds. He's a big old boy. And he reaches down there and gets the fish by the bill. And I leave the boat, like one at the opposite, I think it was on, it was on the port side. I left the starboard engine in gear. And the boat's just kind of in a slow by itself turn, you know. And I run down off the bridge, 
and we rig up this measuring device, which, like I said, this sounds like a total fish story. So we <laughs> took a long piece of mono, like 300-pound mono, and put a lure on the end of it, and I threw it over, and I held the line down to the fish's jaw, let the lure back to where it was at the fork of the tail, and I grabbed it, and I, like, bit it with my teeth, but, you know, I couldn't bite all the way through the 300. I just kind of, like, Made kinked an indention, it. yeah. So I grabbed it and threw all that in the cockpit. The fish is starting to come, too. Zane's getting, like, he's got two hands on the bill, and the thing is, like, lifting him off the gunnel and slamming him down. Like, it's, it's starting to come, too. And Zane's like, no, you didn't measure it right. didn't measure it right. So I grabbed the line again, same spot that I bit it, threw the lure over it, fell back there right to his tail. Like, all right, whatever, and we throw it in the boat. Things like really kicking Zane's butt now. Like Tim's laying on the cooler. You know he's out. He, we don't have fighting here. He's like dead to the world. He can't help. He can't do anything. He's worn out. He's been fighting this thing like five or six hours. Anyways, we get it. We cut him loose. Fish hauls ass, takes off, and you know we're all excited. Like man, I was a giant fish. I don't know how big he was. He's huge. So we get Tim inside. We get him cooled down. Get some water on him. So we're heading back in just kind of easing back in and Zane's cleaning up the cockpit and he takes that piece of line with that lure on it and like does one arm length does two arm lengths and there was you know some left so like I said he's probably six foot so in theory an arm length is six foot so yeah. six twelve that's 144 and there was some left so he Jesus goes and gets the, Christ, he goes man. and gets the tape measure Pulls it out. 154 inches was the length that we had on the fish. Holy mackerel, man. So, even if it was, tw- I mean, even if it was 15 inches shorter than that, I mean, the fish was still could have been a grander. I mean, that thing is, <laughs> that's, so, that's ginormous, man. That's what we said. Like, if anything, we were conservative on our measurement. But, you know, the fish is in the water. It's, yeah. you know, obviously it wasn't a perfect measurement. But I, we were within... I mean, we had to be within six inches, ten inches. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I don't know. I mean, it wasn't – we weren't off two feet. Wow, you know, I mean, it man. was – That's wild. He was giant. I don't <laughs> know how big it was. Like, it was huge. <laughs> man, so, um, man, that's crazy. I can't imagine seeing a fish. It, it's 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 honestly uh, – it's cool. 550 feet of water. Really? Yep. They are pretty close. Yep. Wow. But it's still kind of – it's cool to me, and it's also weird at the same time how you can have a guy that doesn't want to kill a fish like that, and then at the same time you have other people, you know, that are would be <laughs> well, he, all – Well, he told us after the fact. Like, did, he, did he tell you his reasoning? Yeah, he did. He, he Once we got back and we got to talking about it, we knew the measurements. He's like, man, it sounds cheesy, he said, but I made a pact with the fish. Like if he let if I got to catch a fish, I'd let him go. You know, like, just kind of, like, mentally, mentally with himself, tight, you yeah. know. Like, mm-hmm. he didn't tell that to us, but, I mean, not, he didn't say anything while he was fighting it about it. But yeah, he said he had made that. Made a mental pact with yeah, the fish. Yeah, That's cool. That's cool. I respect it, man. I think yeah. it's awesome. And he was pretty good about conservation. Like like I said, we tagged a ton of cobias. I mean, we, yeah. we, we did a bunch for Dr. Franks at the Mississippi lab over there. I mean, we were tagging. 100 plus fish. Man, I've been year. trying to get that guy on my podcast. <laughs> Just trying to, Dr. Franks, if you're out there, man, I want to get you on. Matter of fact, I, I got to, got to call him. He texted me yesterday. I've got some satellite tags. I got to get back to him. Well, if you talk to him, just say, man, I did this podcast last night with this guy. He's a really nice guy, and I <laughs> I think you should go on. Because he, dude, he knows so much. Like, I've been a fr- fan of Dr. Franks for a lot of my life. I mean, he's, yeah. I mean, scientifically, I feel I feel like he's one of the the best we got. He's <laughs> very very well respected in that whole 
community. Yeah. Like the Billfish Foundation, they they talk highly of him. I mean, yeah, he's, he's got a hell a of a reputation. There's no doubt about it. Yep, that's cool, man. So, is there like any other like uh like close calls with tournaments? I mean, I I just brought up Kobe and Blue Marlin because like I feel like I could pull a story out of there. <laughs> but uh, like man, like what's like a I know this like sometimes during these tournaments you'll have like close calls or I don't know like some some and sometimes some of your best stories are when things go absolutely wrong and you know you end up with nothing but whatever you want to tell us if you can think of something man man um man there's just I don't know I I will say this and this is sounds cheesy and I had an old guy tell me this years ago um he actually owned the Annie girl and it was a big 65 Resmondo here in Orange Beach, and I would uh, I'd go freelance, like second mate for him sometimes. John Stokes was the owner's name, and he told me he's like, man, you need to start writing all this stuff down. Not really, <laughs> not really like a a daily journal, like a, or a logbook, but just write these stories down. And and I never did, and whatever. And so, I don't know about two, three months ago, I decided to do it. Now I'm trying to do it off memory. Like, I'm just writing down the ones that I can remember, like the ones I've told you. Yeah, yeah. So, like, man, you know, I, I would I, highly recommend, because if you do it for a career, you're going to do some pretty cool stuff, and you're going to forget it. And Man, you know, I've uh, I've thought about that. I've I've done, like, I've journaled some in the past. I haven't been as, like, religious with it as I probably should. And uh, that's one of my New Year's resolutions, actually, was to start, like, What you told me before we stuff. started doing this about those big triple tail on the cane pole. I mean, you got to write that stuff down, man. That's, yeah, you'll forget it. <laughs> you said a 36 and a 38 back-to-back. Yeah, 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 that's crazy. You know, a crazier story, I haven't, I don't think I've told this one yet, was uh, this year I had a guy, he came with me three different times, um, specifically to catch a big triple tail. He hurt. I don't know how he found out, but it's like, man, if you want to go catch a triple tail, you should go with Polly. And so he booked me once, and we went, and we didn't catch any. He booked me again, and uh, I think the weather was bad, but we couldn't, we just, we couldn't go. And uh, when he came back again, he booked me two days, we brought his wife. And uh, we <laughs> the second cast that morning, his wife, like, all he wanted to catch, he told me beforehand, he's like, man, if we catch a giant, like, I don't care about anything else. I want to take a picture and let the thing go. I was like, man, that's fine, you know, whatever. Second cast, his wife catches one that's 30, 31.2 that morning. We catch a few more, and uh, it was it was a good day. Well, the next day we go out, and he was he was hell-bent on the cane pole. <laughs> he he loved it. I guess he's a, he's a hunter, and he, he loved the cane pole. And uh, the next day he caught he caught one that was an ounce over his wife, so it was thirty one six or something like that. Did and you he do caught that her. on purpose. Like, <laughs> did you just tell him that so he'd feel good, or was it really? No, it really was. Like, it was like one ounce. It was like one ounce over. And he actually caught another one that we released. That was like he was like twenty nine pounds on the boga, and I mean he was a thirty four inch fish. So I mean, wow. He was right there at it, too, but we released. I told him, I was like, man, if we keep – because he really wanted the print done of them, which is really cool, too, because they got them both printed, like, on the same canvas. Yeah. Super-duper cool. But, uh, yeah, we, we we released some, man, and that was a that was a hell of a hell of a time. But, yeah, it's something I should definitely think about writing down. It's something I want to get good at is, like, 
getting good at writing and there's I don't know there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why but you know you just become more thoughtful and <laughs> see I'm I'm terrible I never did really do as good in school and you know grammar and all that as I should have and yeah you know I, I really would rather record these stories than write them down like I don't know how to do that and save it <laughs> yeah then start your own podcast man. yeah I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've had a lot of fun um, doing it. It's it's cool because you start, like, I don't know, I might see you down the dock a year or two from now, and I'll actually know, like, oh, that's that's yeah. Miles, you know. It's it's cool how it, it helps with the networking as well as, like, I don't know. I feel like, like, you're, like you said, your stories and a lot of these guys' stories, they just get washed away. You yeah, know, they, you just forget about them. You just forget about them. I mean, there's probably a ton that would blow our minds right now. Oh, man, some of the stories <laughs> that, like, Ben Ferry is one of them. You ought to try to reach out to him. He was, a, you know, above his time back then, you know, fishing. And, I mean, just some of these old charter captains that I know from around here, Mike Rowell, Bill Staff, Bobby Walker, all those guys, Ricky McDuffie. I mean, those guys were doing it, yeah. you know, way before all of us, you know. Yeah, I know. Uh, I worked for Mike Theory for a little while. Yeah, you know, Mike, Mike Theory. Dolphin yeah, Island. all those guys, man. And uh, I really want to. I, I I keep saying it, but I really want to go talk to him because he he. I mean, he was a charter fisherman for over fifty years. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. And it's it's hard to pick out a. What that's the thing is like when I get a lot of you guys on, it's hard to pick a story that uh that you guys can actually pick up on. You know what I mean? Because there's so many of them. Yeah. It's like, where do you even start? <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> and, you know, you I'm sure you'll see something one day that'll jog your memory of, like, oh, that story. Remember, remember that happening, you know? <laughs> yep. Do it a lot. You know, these phones are cool now. You got pictures and, like, archives of stuff and yeah. pop up. You know, memory from this day five years ago. And, you know, it's kind of neat to look at that. Yeah. Remind you. Did you ever dabble into diving at all? I, like I haven't. I was uh, actually when I was younger, I was scared to death of the water. Not, not the water. Like I surfed a little bit when I was a a kid. You know, I didn't wasn't scared of that. But like offshore, I was not getting in the water, man. I just like <laughs> had seen too many. Like there used to be this big hammerhead hung around the pier when we were kids. I mean, there was just always like I was like, there's no way in hell I'm getting in that water. But yeah. <laughs> I regret that. I would love to. I wish I could get over that fear, but. Man, I was forced as a young kid to get in the water. I I wouldn't say forced, but it's like everybody else is doing it, so you should do it too. And I, like, it's weird because I can remember like times that you like overcome those fears. Like I can remember scared, being scared, just like looking in, like swimming in a thousand foot of water and looking down, you know, mm-hmm. and there's just abyss blue down there like that's a scary feeling for a lot of people like now i crave it like i want to be in that spot you know looking down in the water and just almost just i don't know it's just like a humbling feeling looking yeah. down at the bottom it would be ocean. amazing to go down there and just see the fish like <coughs> doing their thing you know yeah and it's like it's like slowly over the years it was like you know i would be scared of sharks or barracudas or whatever and then I go on a a shark dive behind a shrimp boat where there's just thousands of sharks and you end up being okay. And it's like, just over the years, you slowly get less and less scared of those things. Yeah. (laughs) But it's like all what you're around, I guess. Yeah. We did a little, I've done a few times, like uh, we took the boat to St. Thomas back during the oil spill and did some lobster diving, like free diving down there. And I I was terrible at it, you know. I didn't have any of the right gear, didn't have a weight belt, you know. I had a hard time staying down, had a hard time equalizing. Yeah. But I loved it. 
you yeah. know. And then this past spring, we went to the Bahamas and did a little bit more. And you know, we're supposed to go back this spring. So I'm, I'm one of the things on my list to do before we go is to get a, get my own stuff. Get my, you know, figure out what weight belt works for me. Get a good mask. Get a good fins. Yeah, and um, I will tell you, being y'all's a good interest, it builds your confidence and also it's like there's so much you don't know about your body. Is take like a free diving class. I looked into that, and the only you one could I probably could probably get a guy to fly out to y'all and, and teach a course. For really, sure. there's yeah. one. There's a, a, a store or company or whatever in Destin that does it. That's only that's the closest yeah. place I could find it. Benthic Ocean. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Mike Pooler is a great guy. Yeah. So I lo- I thought about doing that, but I just hadn't got around to doing it. Yeah, you know, yeah. So. It does take up a lot of time, and it's like I don't know. I try to. I I probably dive a couple times a week um, through the year. You know, just being on the boat and just wanting to jump in and look, but it's. It sucks because it's like, all right, you're doing this and you're going to take up a little bit of fishing time and, you know, something may or may not cool happen. So it's – I call it spreading yourself thin. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like yep. you can't be – and whatever you guys are trying to do could be a completely different spot where the lobster or whatever is going on. Right, so. yeah. No, we did it. You know, I was thinking we'd do it on our – you know, in the afternoons, jump in the skiff and go run around and yeah, take a six-pack sure. of beer and go <laughs> jump in the water. I mean, yeah, get a little exercise moving around a little bit, you know. Yeah, for fun. sure, for sure, man. So, um, one last question about fish. What was your biggest wahoo? You done any much wahoo fishing? Not a ton. Um, I think the biggest one I ever caught was like ninety four or something like that. Ooh, that's a giant. Yeah, <laughs> I never, and I hadn't broke a hundred. Did you do any of the king fishing tournaments? A couple. We had a when I was a kid. There was a Bud Light King Mackerel Cobia tournament. That was like the tournament of the year out of Pensacola. It was like the Man, are you fishing the King Tournament? That was the thing. Like everybody mm-hmm. fish, everybody in town fishing. There'd be three hundred boats in it, yeah. kind of like the Dolphin Island Rodeo. And uh, I w- we fished that every year. And one year we got a uh, we won second place Cobia. We actually caught him mackerel fishing. We <laughs> had a nineteen k porn, so we couldn't go anywhere, and had rigged up a downrigger, like took a a yo yo, you know the the leader cool yo yo things. And a skein of 300-pound mono, crimped a ball on it, and put a clip on it. And that was our downrigger. Well, we didn't have a crank. We had to hand line <laughs> it up. And we went to the, uh, we call it the edge. It's like 29 miles, whatever. It's just the natural drop-off. And there was a bunch of boats anchored and chumming and stuff. I was like, man, we're just going to, probably a crappy thing to do. But we're, I was like, man, we're just going to slow troll these hardtails, like behind these guys through their chum slicks, you know, and. Had that one on the downrigger, got bit, popped up, and it was like a 50-pound cobia. <laughs> <laughs> so it was my dad, me, my dad, my stepmother. I think that was it. It was just us three on the boat. So I'm fighting the cobia. She's just kind of getting out of the way, like whatever. And my dad gaffs this thing, and it's on a you know a mackerel rig, like a you know, double treble hook, like cheater rig. And he gaffs it, pulls it in the boat, and drops it right on his freaking feet. And so the big hook of the of the macro rig is in the cobia, and the second one buries up in his ankle. Oh, <laughs> talk about a bad deal. <laughs> this cobia is flopping around. He's hooked to it. It was terrible. Somehow I, I finally cut the line, and I don't know. We couldn't we couldn't get the hook out of him on the boat. So we went ran all the way back in. We're all excited. We got this cobia. You know, we go way in. He's hobbling up there with a freaking hook in him. The news is doing an interview with him. You know, he's all fired up. He's just loving it. <laughs> got battle wounds. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we get back, and he ended up going to the emergency room, getting it pulled out. Well, the next day, we had caught a big triple tail. Imagine that. 
Well, <laughs> while we were doing it, found a log, caught a triple tail, and uh, I don't know why, but the hook was still in the thing, and he's cleaning it on a cooler in the garage, and it slips off the cooler, and he goes to grab it, and the freaking hook buries up in his hand the next day after he'd already gone to the emergency room the day before to get a hook out. And he's like, I'm not going back to the emergency room two days in a row for having a hook in me. You're going to have to get this thing out. And I'm young. I'm probably 12. <laughs> I don't know how old I am. Young. I'm like, what do you mean? How am I going to get this? And this is before YouTube and the internet and all that crap. And he's like, all right, you're going to do this. You're going to, I don't know where he saw it, probably a magazine or something. Wrap the line around it, press the eye of the hook down and pop it out. I'm like, man, what if it doesn't come out? You know, I'm freaking out. He's like, just do it. You know, he's pissed off. I snatched, I mean, as hard as I could snatch, and that hook flies across our garage, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that worked. So <laughs> that was a, that was a pretty fun little story, little trip. Wow, that's fun, man. Um, but that was really the extent of my mackerel fishing. Never, I never <laughs> that got, was it, never, never got into again. the SKA stuff. Well, so your most of your tournament fishing was either Kobe or Blue Marlin yeah. for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. That's pretty cool. And, like, um, just because, like, you've, uh, like, you kind of alluded to it and, like, I could kind of see it becoming a captain at such a young age, um, do you feel like, like you said, you were a little more hot-headed? Do you feel like there was, like, a lot of changing points that started getting you to, I don't know, I don't know what I'm trying to say, is, like, so your personality changes over the years? and you. I think it's when I started, and maybe because I was so young, I felt like I had to prove myself. Mm-hmm. And I, the only way I knew to do it then was just to to catch as many fish as possible or catch the biggest or whatever I could do. You know, like, that's how I felt. Like, my yeah. best way to prove myself was to catch as many fish as possible or the biggest or whatever it was. So, you know, if we didn't catch something, I always felt pressure that I had to come back to the dock with a bunch of fish or beat the guy, have more than the guy next to us. Yeah. Which was the wrong attitude to have, but that's – I mean, that's just That's how you got good, though. I mean, I guess it's a gift and a curse, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky, (laughs) very, very lucky that the guys that I worked for maybe saw it or understood it. I don't know why they put up with it because, I mean, there were some times that I said some things that I shouldn't have said and was a real jerk. Like, I I wouldn't put up with it, you know. Yeah. (laughs) And one of the guys that fished with us, Tim Falzone's, I I would say he's his best friend. I, I don't know if he is, but I would say he was Steve Brown. He was a school teacher, basketball coach, and he would fish with us, and he would always kind of stand up for me. He's like, man, cut him a break. You know, he's just yeah. you know, he's just trying to do good. Like, I do the same <laughs> thing in coaching basketball. You he's know? trying to win. <laughs> exactly. So he kind of helped me out there. But I guess as I got older, you know, and had more confidence in myself as a captain, I didn't feel like I had to. Yeah, you realize that it's not that that's going to get you there. Right. It's all the other pieces. Right. You don't have to be a jerk to to catch a bunch. I and mean, if you lose one, it's not a big deal. Learn from it. Move on. Let's do better next time. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess charter fishing kind of did me like that because I started looking at the goal. You know, you get so mad about certain fish. I mean, I still do um, losing certain fish and stuff. But it's like, yeah, it sucks, but it's worse if you have a bad attitude. <laughs> yeah, it's not gonna do nothing for you. It's hard to control it at times. It is. It is. Especially, uh, I don't know. I can only imagine doing tournaments. I mean, because golly, I can't imagine that. Because like me, it's like we miss a big fish. Well, you know, they'll have a story about how they missed the big one. Right. But if you miss the big one, it's like money out of your pocket. You know, your whole <laughs> reputation. It's yep. a lot, you a know, lot riding I, there. <laughs> you know, it was just like. 
not the money part of it. I mean, I guess it, and it really wasn't even like the, the stress of the, you know, the boss betting on us and doing. It was just like wanting to be successful. I guess when you got back to the dock, you didn't want to have you know so yeah. and so caught five and you didn't catch any. What, I mean, what's wrong? You know, like yeah. <laughs> I yeah, don't know. I it was it was not the right attitude to have for sure. And I, mean, I could t- I mean, I just I could see how it, it happens though. I mean it. I mean, it, like you talk bad about it, but it's it, I don't know. To me, it's it's like a positive. You know, you feel like that. You do things like that for the ultimate goal is to win. <laughs> you know. And yeah, yeah. But I, you know, in a tournament, I guess it should be. But like, I mean, I would even do it fun fishing. Like, I would just be, especially Kobe fishing, because we went every day. And to me, like every day was a tournament. Like, you know, because there you had you, there was other boats out there fishing every day, and you wanted to be high hook every day. Yeah. Or it, a buddy of mine sent me a thing the other day, a text. I can't remember what we were texting about. It was a group text. He's like, yeah, this is like, oh, I know what it was. It was the Alabama-Georgia game. They were uh, uh, Alabama fans. And they were, like, describing the game. And it was actually Zane, my old mate. He's like, you know, this kind of reminds me of, like, a day Kobe fishing with Miles back in the day when we were 19 for 20 and we pulled the 20th one off at the boat and everybody went home pissed off. You know, it's like, <laughs> like you had a great day, but you, you lost the great, last one, and, the last and then one, yeah. like he was being a jerk about it, and everybody's pissed off. I mean, that's <laughs> and Zane it, sounds like a legend, huh? He came up a bunch in this, man, in this conversation. Was, What's he doing these days? <laughs> <laughs> He's actually superintendent for a home builder now. Oh, really? Yeah, got yeah. out of fishing, huh? Yeah, he ran a boat after he after he and I um, he ran a boat for a while, and they sold the boat, and he just. Um, he kind of, man, we fished so hard. We fish, I mean, He just kind of got burnt out. Burnt out. Yeah. yeah. You ever see yourself getting burnt out? I don't, man. I don't know how. <laughs> I mean, dude, I am jonesing so hard to go fishing right now. I've been in the boat yard since July, and it's killing me. Oh, I can only imagine. So, it sounds like you're about to get a lot of it, though. Huh? I hope so. Traveling. <laughs> I hope so. Looking forward to it. That's cool. Well, man, we, we've been going for a while now, but I, I got one last topic I always like to hit on, and it's like, what do you what do you think we can do as fishermen to keep the the Gulf uh, moving in the right direction, particularly about converse, conservation? It could man. be anything, man. Too like don't it's think uh, it's like more reefs, more fads, you know, uh, not killing as much. Whatever you think, some words of wisdom from uh, Captain Miles. <laughs> man, it's it's hard for me to say this because I'm guilty of it, killing way too much, yeah. way more than you need. Um, from everything from bottom fish to tunas to whatever. I mean, we I almost need to, we need to self-regulate ourselves, which I think a lot of people are doing now and doing good at it. You know, um, you know the bottom fishing limits have gotten pretty strict, so you you're kind of limited in what you can keep. But some of the tuna fishing stuff, I think, uh, and I, I like I said, I'm guilty of it. It's hard to let a 150 pounder go, you know, or but how much of that stuff can you really eat? Doesn't freeze that well, you know. I, but if you talk to people, like a buddy of mine that's he's on a committee for the National Marine Fisheries and the tuna, blah blah blah. I don't remember the letters and whatever organization, but he's like the tuna population worldwide is it's fine, it's great, it's in you know it's not a problem. Um, no. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, honestly, the, I, I think the a bigger problem is our water quality and runoff from fertilizers and this and that coming in, you know, the, the rivers and running out. I mean, yeah, 
you know, in our area, when, when I was a kid, there was eelgrass everywhere. The water was crystal clear. There was, I mean, you know, good bait all the way up into our bay, like king mackerel and cigar minnows and herring. And, you know, now the water is crap and all the grass is dead. And yeah. I think a lot of that's just pollution, water yeah. pollution, runoff, basically. Yeah. So that's, I don't know. That's kind of a <laughs> roundabout answer. It wasn't a very good answer. No, I think I it's good. I mean, I, th I I think the the baseline for a lot of conservation should be better habitat or, or more habitat, you know, but through reef building, through, uh, I don't know, moving land to where it needs to be to make, you know, more yeah. habitat for those fish, but also water quality. Um, you well, know, I think habitat and water quality kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing, right? <laughs> if you got, you know, I'm sure I th I'm, I don't know a lot about it, but I know down in, you know, in the Everglades, there's a, a group down there that's working to work on the water quality down there. And I guess in, you know, in, in the, in Louisiana and in, in Venice area or anywhere down in that marsh yeah, area. I heard there's you know, an organization called like Captains for Clean Water. Yeah. Yeah. It's starting to become a, I heard about it on the Tom Rowland podcast and uh, starting to become like a, yeah. a big push, which I think is cool. Cause when you talk about, uh, you know, water quality or, or uh, more habitat, more reefs and stuff. I feel like that's something that every party should be able to get behind, whether you're a fly fisherman, a commercial fisherman, you know, because that's where a lot of the, uh, to me, gets screwed up is it's fishermen, you know, bashing other fishermen. Arguing amongst each yeah, other. Yeah, it's the charter fishermen to the recreational fishermen to the commercial fishermen to the fly fishermen that think you shouldn't kill anything. What's the saying? Divide and conquer? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're, it sounds we're all, like. Yeah. Yeah, we've all got different ideas and we're fighting amongst each other. We all should be doing yeah, the same thing. The, the, the root line is like if if you have good water quality and good habitat, like that's something that everybody should try and push for because, I mean, it's to me it's, you know, I've seen it firsthand when you have more habitat, you have more fish. Like yep. it just, that's just the way it works. You know, I mean, you see it with duck hunting all the time. Like somebody will go put it and build all this land specifically for ducks and they get lots of ducks, you know? And I think, I think fishing could be the same way, you know, in a, in a lot of ways. Well, I mean, like I talked about earlier about the whale sharks we used to see all the time. Very rarely see them now. The blue water now is, you know, in the summertime, it's 150 miles. It used to if you went to the Rampal, it was blue. It was blue. Yeah. Like you didn't need Roths or Hiltons. You just went. I mean, it was like all. I mean, I don't know. I, I just think a lot of that has to do with runoff. You know, stuff coming out of the, all the rivers, not just the Mississippi River, but all of them. And yeah, you know, from people fertilizing their grass and watering it, and algae blooms from all the fertilizer in the water. And I, I don't know. I. I I don't know enough about it to talk. <laughs> about yeah, it. I know. It's just like I don't know. It's it's crazy to think about. It's just like, what do you do about that? It's like we all need food. We all need fertilizer to keep that. You know, all the nitrogen to keep keep the farms going and all that. So it's, I don't know. It's it seems like we're <laughs> no matter what we do, we we make another problem. You know, mm, yeah. some people call it overpopulation. Some people, you know, it's it's a. a it's an interesting topic to talk about just because like every, to me, everybody has a, a different idea about, you know, the way that things should be done. But I think the best way for conservation is, is to, uh, I mean, I guess I just said about habitat, but also like conversations with people like you that have been doing it for so long, you know, y y like you just said, you know, you've done all the overkilling and all that kind of stuff, but for, you know, people that are getting into it, 
you know, newer, they, they hear you say that. And, and some of them well, won't even pay attention to it. They'll just kind of blow it off. But some people will really change what they're doing because of, you know, the people that they've talked to and the things that they've learned. So I definitely think this is a is a good way to uh, change the, the mindset of the, the fishermen, hopefully, or, yeah. or push it in the right way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Yep. Well, um, Captain Miles, I really appreciate you coming on here, man. Is there anything else you would uh, like to say? No, man. Okay. had a good time. I was a little nervous about doing it, and, but it's been <laughs> fun. went too hard. Well, everybody was right, man. Everybody kept telling me, hey, you got to get Miles on there. you got to get Miles on there. And uh, finally, Rimmer hooked me up with you, so I, I really appreciate um, you coming on, man. And thanks for the stories. Learned a lot from you. So hopefully we'll see each other down the dock someday. All good, man. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please give us a follow on Facebook or Instagram at Tunatown Talks. Also, if you'd like to book a charter with me, you can do so by visiting our website at mgfishing.com. That's Mexican Gulf website, where you'll find my online booking calendar with all my open dates. And remember, guys, always be safe while out on the water.